0: Uh episode sixty something. Hello, episode sixty-two, if you make it through. Uh, uh yeah, should be if I make it through. Um yeah, so uh so I had the flu or I had the flu. This is bootstrapped FM, by the way.
1: Yes, that's right. <laughs> that was that was very radio
0: announcer, like <laughs> this is Bootstrap FM coming to you live. November fourth, New York City and Poughkeepsie. <laughs>
1: that doesn't sound
0: good. Leave that part out. <laughs> Um, so you
1: actually had the flu. So you always call everything the flu. And I always say, listen, you don't have the flu, you just have a cold. But this
0: time, you actually had the flu. It was the flu. I get the flu once a year around this time. And this was the second, I'm just coming out of it now, like literally just like yesterday. Uh, this was the second worst one ever. Yeah, it sounded um, pretty gnarly. The first worst one ever was about five years ago. And that was that was like in and out of consciousness level right. fever. That was really bad. I don't remember half of it. That's how bad it was. Wow. Uh, and this one, yeah, this one was pretty bad. You know, my wife. Uh, we call her. We we jokingly call her the Wolverine sometimes because she heals, like, like well, like the Wolverine. Like right. she could cut her finger in the morning. By evening, it'll be completely healed. And when she gets the flu, uh, or gets sick or anything, oh. like that it's like a solid a day and a half. Just that like the whole cycle, she will go through it hard, right. and then she'll come out of it in like a day and a half. And then my my, my son got, uh, got the flu from his school earlier yes. on, and then you know, he got better. She got sick from that same thing. And she was down for four days, and she's never down for that long with the flu.
1: So you knew you were in trouble. I knew
0: I, knew <laughs> I was, I was going to get hit hard, and it was right. This is I, this
1: how it always is with the school. The kid gets it, and the kids are usually all right with it. Like They're still like, they're, you know, they're sick, but they're not dying. And right. then, But then you can just see it. You just know in a week or a week and a half, you're done for. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah.
0: Well, the, the silver lining is that somehow my body waited until she was fine. That does happen a lot. It's um, weird. Which is weird. Which I mean, if if the brain is smart enough to be able to influence (laughs) that, why can't it be smart enough to just turn off the flu altogether? (laughs) Um,
1: That happens all the time. Every time people get sick here, it's always, almost always, basically always, me and Jamie will get sick slightly offset, and it just magically
0: works out that way. Right, so there's at least one capable adult in the household. (laughs) Uh, Yes, and I'm coming out of it, but I mean, yeah, it was was rough. It was a long time,
1: the flu is the worst. Well, I it the worst, but it's bad.
0: I got nothing done. I'm behind. I owe you work on HelpSpot Mobile. Uh, I owe DNL work. Uh, I got to get started on their stuff. And I got to finish up uh, QI. The flu is stuff. One, of those, one of those things you can't work through. There's no working through the flu. Not only that, is that, you can't work through the flu, but also after you come out of the flu, like this stage right now, yeah. you don't have any interest in either working or doing anything as a hobby that you did before the flow. Yeah. Like, I lost all interest in video games. I don't want to watch anything. I don't want to read anything. I don't want to play anything. I don't want to work. Like, I, I kind of just want to sit and stare at the <laughs> foreground like putty on science. You're just, uh, yeah, your body's run down. You got to recuperate. Uh, but we got to record this thing because we got sponsors. I know. Happen. This is the downside of the
1: sponsors. You know, it's like, got a schedule. got stuff you got to do. That's all right, though. You, no. It's good. You need to, You need to do something. This is like low commitment. It's like you know, do forty five minutes or an hour, and you're done. You can go back to staring at the walls. <laughs> um, what's in your show about? Tell everybody about you in your show. I got a new podcast. So w- before I talk about the new podcast, see, so I've been thinking about because this is this is all bootstrap uh, FM relevant here. So I've been about marketing, right? Because we have. I talked about this last couple of weeks where. You know, and now we have a new support person just really doing support and training stuff. And we have Rebecca, who's just doing salesy stuff. And we have the developers who are doing developer-y stuff, plus other things. And so marketing is still kind of my thing. That's like my last bastion of pure responsibility. And I hate marketing, you know? Like, I mean, I like it in a certain sense, but I'm not, I'm not that good at it, I don't think, in general. So, and we have a tough market to reach, support people, they're not really, most support people aren't like out looking for information on support topics. I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird niche to get to access. So you end up kind of marketing around the edges of it. So, uh, so I've been thinking about different things to do and I have like a whole list of things I want to do marketing wise, but, and some of them I'm going to do, it's kind of a long term list, uh, but a lot of them are like, boring and horrible. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so this is the coder aspect of me. It's like, what can I do that's not boring and horrible, right? So I was like, well, I like podcasting. Like, maybe I'll do a podcast. So so I have actually a couple ideas for different podcasts. So we have this podcast, which is still ongoing. And, you know, we talk about the bootstrappers. And we kind of have this bootstrapper niche. We have the forums. But this is not like a great marketing channel for, for HelpSpot because... Bootstrappers like they're either just using email, especially the earlier stage ones, you know, or they don't need something maybe as sophisticated as HelpSpot. Although all of you, you can use HelpSpot. HelpSpot works great for single person teams, small teams. Yeah, I've been using it for a decade. There you go. <laughs> so it does work for that, but you know we don't market to this group necessarily generally. So uh, and now that we have HelpSpot Cloud, I do think it actually it's probably a little more appealing again to smaller teams where. Uh, you know, smaller teams these days aren't as interested in running their own server to run their help desk. Uh, so now with cloud, you can just, uh, and I have a lot to talk about with that too, actually, which we'll save for a little bit later here. But um, anyway, so I was like, all right, you know, what other kinds of, podcasting is interesting to me. I like doing it. Maybe I could do something with that. So uh So I'm going to play with a couple different podcasts, I think. So the first one is Anything But Code, which is going to be uh, anything but code. So I'm going to talk to geeky people about things other than code. Because a lot of these people, you know, I will occasionally drop in on different podcasts that are code related and it just numbs my brain. Like I hate the code talk. I despise it. But because listening to code is just not interesting to me. But the people I'm very interested in. So I think the people are interesting. Um, and I would prefer to talk about interesting things with these people um, that's not code. So that's kind of the basic premise. It's not going to be just coders. It's not going to be, it's it's kind of a wide ranging. So it's business. We're going to do like some movie reviews because I'm into that as we do on here on occasion. Um, you know what? We could do games. You could come on. We could do a, just a pure game one. It's going it's to be a little bit more of a general interest podcast, um, but still focused on kind of the geek world. So that's kind of the first one. And I'm going to do like 10 of them and then we'll see how it goes, you know? So if it seems like people like it and it's, it's, it's working, then I'll do more. Um, so I kind of think of it as like doing a season and then see how it goes. Um, and then the other podcast I was kicking around, but I don't really, I don't want to start two at once. Well, which would be three total. Um, and I also haven't fully fleshed it out, but I feel like there's a podcast in here somewhere for like, like pure. That's more of a pure like business podcast. That's short, like a short pure business business podcast where it's just like 15 minutes on weird thing I learned. Like maybe it's 15 minutes on dealing with Nexus, or it's 15 minutes on all this freaking crazy healthcare stuff I've been dealing with for the past two months that we've been researching. And, uh, I don't know, like where it's just, it's not part of a bigger show. Like we talk about a lot of these things too. And I could and even come up on the other show a bit, but they'll be part of, these are like parts of bigger podcasts. It's something that's more like very specific where it's just one topic and it's like nuggets of information of things that I come across in running this like smallish business. I yeah, know.
0: I like that idea, the bite-size. Like uh, Matt Stauffer has that five-minute geek show thing he does on YouTube. I like that format.
1: Yeah, exactly. Kind of like that, but like on the business front. But yeah, that, like it's like a bite sized nugget, some weird thing I learned or figured out or whatever. Um, I don't know. So I actually recorded one as a test, but I didn't really love how it, came out and so I'm not really sure. You know, it's like, I don't really like talking. It's hard to limit it in time. First of all, all blabber mouth, but also I don't know the format. Like should it just be me talking, but then like, that's how Matt stouffer does it. Mm-hmm. And it works good for him, but he's like super upbeat. So I don't know if that works for me or, or what. So I, I don't know. And plus I don't want to launch to it once. So I'm still kind of kicking that one around. I might need to to research. I think I do need to research that one a bit more. But uh, anyway, the podcasts are fun. They don't take that much time. I do think it calls back to the kind of other thing I like about it is it calls back to uh, starting Userscape where what I mostly did was blog to geeks um, and the geeks kind of spread the word about HubSpot and that worked pretty well. Mm -hmm. But nowadays blogging is like a waste of time unless you're really, I don't know, I feel like there's just so much of it It's hard to do well. Um, And unless you're really a very strong writer, it's hard to kind of make that really work. Uh, So. I was thinking about
0: it the other day, whether somebody like Spolsky or um, Jeff, uh, what's his name, codinghorror.com blog, whether those blogs would be able to be uh, successful if they were started today.
1: Yeah. I think it's hard. I don't I don't know. You know, I mean Spolsky's an excellent writer, right? So maybe maybe he would, right? But I do think it's really yeah, difficult to break out. And even my little blog, which was not any ever near any of those guys at all, you know, we'd I'd have DHH commenting. I'd have Spolsky occasionally. I had, you know, uh coding horror. Like all those guys you just mentioned, like they would come to my blog and post comments. It's like mm. that would never happen today. You know, they would never reference a blog post of mine. They don't even blog themselves, right? Much anymore. And so I feel like it's a whole different thing where you, back then you could be kind of part of a little community of even people who had more, more pull than you. But, uh, now it's like impossible to not impossible, but it's so hard to, to break into that. And it's so much about the kind of larger volume and you're competing with buzz feeds and making top 10 lists and all that crap. And eh, I don't know. It's not, not interesting for me. Um, and I also think I'd rather podcast and spend four hours writing a big article or something like that. So that's my theory. We'll see, but it doesn't, you know, it's easy to experiment with. It's easy to iterate on. It doesn't take a lot of time to set one up. I, uh, I set up the new, so it's at, (laughs) <laughs> I even got a, a $1 domain for it so like I'll just try it out <laughs> anything but code dot xyz and uh, uh, but what's cool is so I'm using the simple cast which I, is a pretty cool service it, like you can just host the website through it they deal with everything Like so it took me like an hour to get the whole thing set up so mm-hmm. that was nice too it wasn't a big setting up WordPress like we've done with bootstrap because there weren't these tools then and you know running WordPress and people are hacking it and all that stuff so low, low uh, quick startup time, which is nice. But. So we'll see. The first up was uh, Jack McDade of Statamic and uh, of Statamic. Statamic? Statamic. Statamic. Um, so it was, it was actually really interesting. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes. I just launched it this morning. So, so far, so good. Well, good. Uh, Mazel tov. Yeah, thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, before we go on, we should do our first sponsor, who I actually, what made me think of this? Is I asked them for the definitive clarification on how to say their names uh-huh. since every episode so far. With them, we have, uh, we have gone back and forth on this. So our sponsor this week is Linode. All oh, right. Like Linux, Linode, which is how I was saying. Okay. It, Cre- created by any a anymore. guy named Linus. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind that. Okay. Don't look behind the curtain and all that stuff. So Linode, thanks again for sponsoring this week. Uh, as I've said the past couple of weeks, we use them for a whole bunch of infrastructure at Userscape. Andre uses them. Yep. uses them for years. Uh, you know, super fast, all SSD. Um, you know, $10 to get set up with a one gigabyte virtual server. Uh, they have backups. They have... Um, all the kind of tools you need to get started easy. If you're a Laravel person, it works great with Laravel Forge. Um, So super easy to get started. Right now, how I do everything that's a regular website is I just have a one gig Linode server that runs each individual website. So I never have to worry about everything being down at once or anything like that. Uh, It's just all, all nice and compartmentalized, an extra couple bucks a month gets you the backups and you have nothing to worry about. So definitely check out Linode. Um, if you go to linode.com slash bootstrapped FM, then you, uh, if you sign up through there, you'll get the first month free. So it's $10 off. Or if you sign up for a bigger server, you'll get $10 off that server in the first month. So definitely check that out
0: and thanks
1: to them for sponsoring.
0: All right. Um, have you seen this article on, um, I saw it as a Twitter link, so I'm not—I don't remember what it was. I'll link to it in the show notes. Yep. About this 11-year-old girl selling cryptographically secure passwords <laughs> sure. for two dollars each. I did. I saw it on Twitter. I
1: didn't—I don't know if I actually even read it, but I saw like enough of the summary, or maybe I read the, a bit of it. But yeah, I did I
0: love it. it. It's That's a 21st-century awesome. lemonade stand.
1: So you should explain uh, what she's doing in case they missed it.
0: So uh, everybody's a programmer who listens to this, I'm sure. <laughs> but you know, computers <laughs> don't make random passwords; they make pseudorandom random number sequences based on a seed uh, but sometimes you need uh, actually uh, aside from being cryptographically secure you, you need a proper true or as true as you can get randomization in your password or some sequence of numbers or whatever right. um, so the traditional way of doing this is um, the way they do it in security labs is is kind of it's too much for a regular human being you connect the computer up to uh, um you monitor election, electron movements of various eroding elements, <laughs> with relatively short half lives and things like that. Yeah. To get to get seemingly true randomization, um, but but what she does is just she she tosses a, a pair of dice six times, and you know she does some <laughs> calculations on that and some string sequences based off of those rolls, and she mails those things to you, like in mail. And uh, that's, that's a cryptographically secure, relatively simple to achieve, uh, actual random sequence of, of bits there. And then she'll make that for you for two bucks. And it's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. And then she even sends it to you in, a, in,
1: mo- in the modern world in a kind of secure way by physically mailing it to yeah. you compared to emailing it obviously would be very yeah. insecure or some other you know, electronic way where somebody
0: might be watching you. It's like, yeah, they'll send it through the mail. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, I, I ruined the entire thing for myself by remembering. Uh, you ever read, uh, you know, Stephen Wolfram, right? He has mm-hmm. a Wolfram Alpha. He's a mathematician, yeah. fairly famous, and he founded Mathematica, which is a software package for statisticians and whatnot, mathematicians. Um, so he's like, he's one of those uber, uber smart scientist guys, like really, really like genius level. Um, mm-hmm from what I told, not a very pleasant personality, but I don't know, I never spoke to the man. <laughs> um, He wrote a book called A New Kind of Science. This is like his tome. like He's been researching it for like three quarters of his life or something. It's 1,200 pages long. Um, That was back in the early 2000s he wrote that. And I think that's in that book where uh, he kind of goes on the, this exploration of a deterministic universe. So basically when you have the Big Bang started out, with uh, everything that was, everything that is now was created at that point, right? There's right. nothing that came in after, it's just that, that was the source of everything. So including the velocities and the spins and everything of every atom. Uh, so if that's how they started out, then uh, that would demand that everything that has since happened or will happen is deterministic because everything is based on sort of the direction of the spin and the velocity acceleration of a particular atom. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, if, if that is the case, that everything started out with a certain velocity and acceleration and a certain spin and whatnot, then everything is deterministic, and then you get down to the point that uh, uh, there's no free will, <laughs> basically, <laughs> uh, because me talking about this was dictated at that point in time by you know a, a certain sequence of events that started at point of creation, bang bang. So, so if you ignore the fact that there's no free will, <laughs> and nothing is and everything is deterministic. Uh, paying that girl two dollars is <laughs> easier than hooking up uh, uh, wires from an eroding element with a short half-life to get random numbers into a computer. You went um, deep on this. This this like really made you think here. I kind of thought about it. No, it's it's one of those like lovely businesses that are based on like pure computer science. You I don't get the, that a lot. In the
1: article, did it uh, say how much money she's actually made on this?
0: Uh, I think she matches like a minimum wage of New York, which so is like twelve bucks an hour or something. Right? Right. it's it's good. very good for an eleven. That this yeah. this is the kind of business that an 11 year should be writing. Right. it's perfect.
1: That's really cool. I love. It. Yeah, that's good stuff. Like, uh, oh, and there's something else. With, uh, I was gonna say, uh, I can't remember. Anyway, no, I did see that. It was that was really cool? It's like in physical world, which is why we like it too. Yeah, it's like physical world match with the digital world.
0: Yeah, It's great. <laughs>
1: I want to try mailing people stuff I thought about that on my
0: marketing and the things to physically mailing stuff to people you could ask Andy Bryce he I remember he ran some uh, physical ah, campaigns right. for uh, uh, perfect, perfect table, table plan yeah a while back huh I wonder how that did he did it know. when I was running uh, well what did I call Quinto and Quinto was a mailing uh, was a mailing company when I ran that for a couple of months
1: oh uh, uh, when you were uh, yes What what, you're printing something out and mailing it, right?
0: Yeah, it was like a CRM that allowed you to do just just that what you wanted, basically mailchimp, but through physical mail. Oh right. right. Um, and he ran a campaign for Perfect Tail Plan through that. Um, I don't remember if he ever told me what the results of that were, but you can ask him. Hmm. We have access to Andy Bryson, his genius. That's right.
1: i'll post it up on the uh, boards because that would be an interesting topic i think in general to cover up there yeah make a note to myself here to uh
0: post on the boards i envy people like andy bryce actually because the, the the uh he really sort of he nailed down that business like to where to where like it's analyzed properly it runs like a business you know it's like there's no fluff around it there's no a b testing of blue red buttons like he runs it like a Proper business to be proud of, not like the wishy-washy online SaaS stuff that we try to do. <laughs>
1: well, he's very uh, methodical, right? I feel like, yeah, which we get bored with methodical, so that <laughs> <laughs> kind of throws it off. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, he had the patience to learn the AdWords, and that that was big. Now I don't, I know he said it's gotten a lot tighter in uh, in recent years in terms of, you know, he really had it down there for a few years. I think the ability to you know, regularly come out on the upside with the AdWords. And right. uh, like, you could really just create a routine with that and uh, and run with it and know, you know, you dump X in, you're going to get X plus, you know, 20% out every month. But I think it, Google has eaten into that uh, 20% or whatever. That's not the real number, but, you know, it's eat, it knows everything. And so it knows that you're making too much money. <laughs> wants you to just be even I
0: literally could not know less about AdWords.
1: Every time I go in there, I mean, I've tried to get into it a few times, but it's just brutal in there. And, and then in the support space, it's so expensive. There's nothing, you can't just try any, you know, all these companies have people who just do it. So even in like long tail words or, you know, three, four, five $5 a click. So it just seems like for me to even really like try it is tens of thousands of dollars. And that seems
0: like. Yeah, plus you're in one of those segments where it's like, you might as well be selling project management software yeah. That's just so insurance much. or something like that. So expensive. And so,
1: yeah, I've never really gotten too into it other than thinking I should be into it and going in there and being like, uh, I don't want to spend this much money on this. I mean, I have a few times tried spending a few thousand dollars and it's always never, I don't think I've ever gotten one sale through it. Um, the only thing that ever worked for me, and this is like silly anyway, is I would, I would just, uh, I would always have an ad going for help spot. So if you just search on help spot specifically, then, you know, we'd come up right. but uh, just to be, I mean, we're first in that result anyway, obviously, but I would just have that there just in case And there. has been a few times our competitors were on that or whatever, but uh, like a year back, I even turned that off because it was like, I don't know, I'm spending $300 on this and I'm the first result anyway. So <laughs> silly. silly.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. So, so we did have a question oh, you have yeah, no, no I was just going to say last episode you mentioned that you want to talk about the new health spot benefits or something I don't know if oh, you Oh yeah I
1: got I got a list of things to talk about but I thought we talk about this first uh this came up on on the Twitter because I tweeted um the, uh, I wanna... on
0: the Twitter <laughs> <laughs> Get off my lawn I
1: know I like the Twitter I I want to not like it but I do I do still like it I was actually just looking at this uh, because, I don't know, somebody posted one of these things where it analyzes your tweets for some random thing. Anyway, it, on there I listed that I started Twitter. started on Twitter in March 2007. Mm-hmm. And then Twitter actually used HelpSpot for like a year or two before they were even Twitter when they were Odeo. And then as they started to become Twitter. And I looked at that and that was, I looked so I looked up that date and it was something like June 2006 that they were using HelpSpot. Mm-hmm. And... I was like, wow. I, I wonder why I didn't join when they were using it. I must have been turned off by. I maybe mean, they had that like ugly green logo, and it wasn't even Twitter. It was, oh well, it was Twitter without the e. It was like Twitter, or you know Twitter r. I remember I
0: had an account at the time around when you joined, yeah. and then for some reason I deleted it, and then I opened another one. So like half of my stuff legacy gone. stuff is gone.
1: <laughs> so here's though, what came up on Twitter. That, I, that was a tangent there, but. Uh, So specifically with HubSpot, we deal with, you know, IMAP email and, you know, and pop also, but sucking email into IMAP Mm -hmm. and there is just no PHP libraries for this that are any good. And so we use PHP as a wrapper around this open source C library to do it. Uh So that's what we use. But, you know, that thing is barely maintained and it's rickety and it has weird edge case bugs. And I'd rather just have a pure PHP library that was a little more, you know, more modern and more maintained. But there is a few, but they're not really, they're not that widely used because not that many apps these days need to suck in email from IMAP. So there's nothing out there. And so I was lamenting this and it's like, there's this market. I feel like for, internet plumbing apps, but not apps, libraries. And you know, right now, today, if there was a really high quality PHP, IMAP library, I would pay $10,000 a year for that. Like that is worth $10,000 a year to me to have something that is perfect, supported, any random edge case, all that stuff is, is taken into account. And uh, I just feel like there's a market for some of these things where, yeah, maybe there's only a, a few thousand customers that you're likely to get. But they're each willing to pay you $10,000. Or, I mean, that's our little business is willing to pay that. What if, if we were some big company doing some crazy internal thing? Uh, you know, there's companies willing to pay a lot of money for these things. And nobody, you know, everybody says, oh, it's open, there's open source, so we don't build those kind of things because there's open source versions. But the open source versions suck because the open source versions, nobody wants to work on that. You know nah, what I mean? Yeah, like,
0: yeah. You're absolutely so, right. There's uh, even <clears throat> back on Wall Street, every Wall Street company pays this I already forgot the name of it, but this one vendor, who basically sells them a glorified pub sub library, because every Wall Street company in the world needs a a good asynchronous pub sub communications layer, Um, and these are the guys that sell, and that's like their entire business, like ten million dollars a year or something like that. But, but yeah, it's basically you know like uh, it's basically pub sub on top of UDP with some assurances built in. But that's what it is. It's plumbing. It's internet plumbing, and and plenty of. uh, Compiler vendors that are independent compiler vendors that have been around since uh, early '90s or even late '80s that are still thriving even in, in the age of you know free xcode and gcc and visual studio running out mm-hmm. there. There's plenty of compiler vendors that are like super niche or they optimize their compilers to do super specific things or like embedded systems or things. There's worlds of of software that we're just not privy to because it's just not our world, right? Yeah. And there, there's plenty of there's plenty of vendors making a lot of money who are not you know, sort of selling themselves out on social media. So you're right in that there's a need for that. I don't know whether there's a need for like what you need specifically, but right. there's, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of software companies that are sort of under the, you know, flying fancy radar.
1: And I think the, and but a lot of those are so much like, like what you said, like it's a compiler, it's like C, you know, there's, those kind of things. I think I bet you even in the Microsoft world there's a lot of these, but in the PHP, Ruby, Python, open source C end of the languages, you just don't see that many libraries for this kind of internet plumbing stuff that are professionally like developed and maintained and that you can just pay for. Like I just want to pay for it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to research 15 horrible not maintained open source libraries. I don't want to build our own, which is going to cost way more than a few thousand dollars. I just want to pay somebody a fairly large chunk of money to make this problem go away. Like, that's what I want to do. And nobody wants
0: to take my money. And it's, yeah, it's and also I, kind of funny, uh, ironic, because a lot of like sort of programmers want, like, I know for a long time. Time. I basically wanted to run a company where we just build stuff for programmers, like low-level stuff that we don't have to think about because we don't want to build it for a market we already know. And this is exactly the sort of thing that, you know, like some sort of component-level product line.
1: Yeah, you don't have to worry about building UIs. There's none of that stuff. You throw up a basic website and you build just, you know, code with API, you know, document the API, the code, or whatever, and that's it. And you don't have to, there's nothing else for you to even do. And uh, it just makes me nuts. It just makes me
0: nuts. I think anytime you have, like you described, you have a an open source PHP wrapper around an open source unmaintained C thing that implements a, a boring piece of functionality that a lot of people or relatively a lot of people, a lot of people, if you're just a bootstrap guy or girl building a business, it's a, enough people to constitute a lot of customers. Um, and, and, and for there not to be a commercial offering. There should be a commercial offering version of any of those sort of situations where you have, you know, unmaintained open source, where the root of it is an unmaintained open source package. Right. There yeah, should be exactly. a commercial. <laughs> there should be a commercially supported one.
1: It well. just seems like there's some, and yeah, even just the support. I think you could have. So there's things like this, which like there's no good IMAP library. Fine, and then you even have all the other PHP modules that are even included with PHP where you might be willing to buy someone else's just for support because that module is so important. Because right now, yeah, you're going to use the PHP one. And when something goes horribly wrong, there's nobody to help you, you know? So I just want support on it even. Or I want support plus you smooth out the rough edges and make it easier for us to use. Or you work, or even if it, I think there's even a market for you use the underlying library but you build a wrapper around it that fixes the weird stuff and and uh, deals with the edge cases and things like you might not even have to write the entire thing. You're just writing this layer in between and supporting the whole stack. And that would be enough. And that could be a million dollar business right there. I mean, you're not going to become Uber, but you're going to have a nice, solid, bootstrapped, sustainable business customer who's going to pay you every single year automatically to make sure that they have support on this library that's core to their application that's a good that's a good market
0: it's sort of one of these um not, not not to like do sweeping generalization type of things but it's Go sort ahead. of one of these stallman level of programming knowledge type of things right where it's really low level Unix-based stuff, and yet at the same time, you want to be able to not have a website that sells it that looks like it's from 1992. Right. So you want to sort of uh, be able to like spread yourself between these two worlds of being modern enough that Ian Lensman will find you, right? Uh, but yet old school enough to be able to sort of sit down and write a solid implementation of this thing that um, not a lot of people would be interested in who are not Ian Lensman, but you're still capable of writing something solid that low level yeah
1: I mean there's still definitely like marketing to be done right so you're gonna have to have a good website that's a key part of it like make me as the business customer feel like oh this looks like they're still in business because if you just look like the unmaintained you know open source library well that that's not gonna do it either so definitely have to have that you're probably gonna have to do more like outreach because uh Although I don't know, I mean, I would think that these are actually probably pretty easy things to rank on, even just search engine wise and AdWords wise. Or pro- you know, there's probably not a lot of competition on you know PHP IMAP library, for instance, or Ruby IMAP library, or whatever. Like you could probably cheaply own those keywords and fairly easily be on the first page, if not the top result, search engine wise. Um, and then you know, I think outreach would be good because uh, that. You know, but even that's not that hard. I mean, how hard is it to do a Google search and find every program or, you know, not everyone, but a lot of programs where the PHP IMAP library is required. Every single one of those apps is a potential customer for you. Um, Now that's not going to reach like, you know, internal apps obviously, but that's still a chunk of market where you can reach out to all those companies. If somebody emailed me today and was like, look at this library we sell, it's super awesome. We got all these great customers, everybody's using it. Super reliable PHP IMAP. Done. They'd have the easiest sale in the world.
0: See, you should have just kept your mouth shut, and we would have written it for Quantic. Build it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we need to build it. Well, it's not too late. You know, nobody takes the ideas.
0: <laughs> we'll uh, we'll build it under Quantic.
1: Hum down. Oh, well, that's what my original tweet was. That someday I want to run this company, like, because I think it's a good market. I think there's a lot of, you know, I don't think it's like the world's biggest market, but I think it's a solid, reliable market, especially if, you know, so for my needs, right? Like I definitely know, okay, PHP IMAP, um probably even SMTP, although there are better, more maintained open source ones for that. So that might not be as good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a variety of, you know, when you really start digging in. So we don't have a lot of needs other than that, but you'd have to research and come up with whatever, four or five uh, protocols that are not properly being supported and uh, see what makes sense. But they got to be out there. Or even just, you know, you find one or two and you do it across a bunch of languages where uh, people might need it. So I don't know. Even even in things like, uh, what was it? We were using somebody's official API, like, I don't know if it was Mailgun. So in Snappy, we use Mailgun to deal, you know, so email goes to Mailgun uh-huh. and Mailgun parses it and HTTP posts it to you. Uh-huh. Um, but their PHP library was like really bad for something. And there's just libraries for commercial companies, right? They'll feel like you could probably build wrappers around that and add value to things that they're never going to do well or, or do simply enough or uh, things like that like or even like the AWS library which is a big kind of monster that might be too big a project but i don't know i feel like even writing wrappers around other companies wrappers is <laughs> potentially viable um because a lot of these companies you know they build the wrapper and they don't maintain it it just sits out there and it doesn't stay up to date on what's going on with PHP or uh or even their own product many times or it's just built in a not modern way like a lot of them we'd hit where they don't use packages and composer which is the kind of modern way to include libraries in your php applications so they don't have that now they could add that obviously but a lot of them won't or don't or it takes them two years or whatever so that's a little more i don't know that's a little more risky but i do think even for those there's some possibilities
0: yeah i i, I definitely agree i if, if you're just starting out and looking for like a niche for your bootstrap software of company or um if you're looking for a change like i, I i've always been very interested in sort of Taking and tear it down to the component level of, of of software.
1: Yeah, well, in iOS, I'm sure that would be there'd be a lot of possibilities there for that too. I think where either the internal library is not great or it's not as simple to use as
0: it could be. Or, and like the fear yeah. is always that there's going to be some open source project that'll take you know right. take the rug out from under you. But the reality is that there's you could count on, on 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 two hands how many open source projects have reached a maturity level to where it's basically uh, you know uh, of, a, of a stability where everybody's using it without questioning it's uh, you know whether it's good or not and just in lieu of any commercial offering um, so like AF networking or something is, is something you use in iOS because like just, that's something that everybody's been using but that's been in development for years and years and years um, but, there, but that's you know there's only a handful of, of open source projects that have reached that maturity level and that level of documentation and support where in reality a lot of uh, other stuff that you rely on is basically been, well, you know, which one of these half done all, uh, you know, all, all dropped and not supported software projects that I'm going to use for like this mapping component or this communications component or this ad component or something. And they're all in these states of like half implemented, totally undocumented. Um, yeah, if
1: anything, that's like, that would be something to go look for, right? Is where is there just some, even a, Quasi solid open source library, but it doesn't have a lot of action. And because there's probably businesses who need that, but there's just not enough interest from people who want to just donate their time to work on it because they don't have that need because they're not building this kind of apps, or in general, you know, the culture is you want to work on things that are you know moving at a rapid pace and that have a lot of uptick, and that's the natural place to want to put your effort. Um, So yeah, the HTTP libraries and those things are always have that or obviously bigger frameworks and things have that, but you don't have that on just the more niche components. And uh, yeah, even if an open source library comes in after your commercial component, it's still not going to have enough support um, and things like that. For, you know a business person's willing to pay for that support and that knowledge of somebody's maintaining it so
0: the thing is that the other side of the coin is that it requires somebody like Ian Lensman with with the sort of the technical know-how to see that there's a lack of open source uh, or, or the fact that the open source offerings are lacking in something and the ability to, to, to pull the trigger and say yes I will pay X number of thousands of dollars or whatever for this commercial version of this plus support. Uh, Because I think the mass majority of time is you you get a circumstance where it's some developer looking for some developer looking on a project in some company who's looking for a component. And he's going to or she's going to hit a stack overflow article on where's the component that does this, this and this. And the first few answers will be, well, here's a half-assed one. Here's a half-assed one that I like. Right. Oh, and by the way, here's a commercial one, but that costs money.
1: Right.
0: And if you're not in the Ian lensman position, you're not even going to consider the commercial one that costs money. So uh, you might be out there selling this thing that's that's good and, and, you know, and, and better than the open source stuff. But at the same time, it's hard to sort of, you're a rarity. You're not, you know, mo- mostly you got the point you had at bosses. It's not, it's not Ian Lensman's out there who are technical and capable of making the financial decisions and something. I wonder though. See, I think I agree in general, but see, I think as
1: you get into bigger companies, I wonder if that's true. Like, like what you said with the Wall Street. You know, they pay this library. You know, whatever. We have a hundred programmers in this company, and they're all making a lot of money. And one of them comes to me and says, "To build this thing, I need three thousand dollars to buy this library." Like. And it's going to be secure and supported versus, or else I'm going to take this random, you know, open source thing and that's not maintained. I mean, I, I, not gonna, I, That's I,
0: not going to be a programmer who's going to make that approach. That's going to be some, that's going to be a company where you have uh, kind of a middle, manager. some kind of a project manager who is low level enough to see that it, it would be beneficial to buy this thing rather than have his people yeah. write it, right? The programmer will never make that approach.
1: But I think that's just where you need the marketing to be like that, right? Like you have to you have marketing, like some pages that are more, or even the homepage has to ride that balance of, of uh, it's geeky enough for the programmer who does just come across it and wants to send up the chain. But it also explains the benefits enough for the project manager right. of like, hey, you don't want your ass out on the line with some sleazy open, we know our competitors in this space. Here they are. Here's a link to them. They're not supported. See, the last time it was updated was two years ago. Uh, you want our thing that we just updated this morning. And uh, you're not going to get fired because you, you you know use some security vulnerable old open source thing. So, right, I think you can make the strong pitch. I mean, yeah, you do have to get in there. That's where I think like the search engine rank is probably important and things like that. Like you want to be above that bogus Stack Overflow article um, if you can, or close to it, uh, so you're not kind of dependent. Because yeah, the regular run in the mill geek who's on Stack Overflow it's not going to recommend you probably, right? They're going to be like, well, there's open source one that does it. Cause they just Googled around and found some open source thing or looked on GitHub. So you need to be, yeah, like they're not going to help you in that way, but, uh, but you might have to help yourself and stay on Stack Overflow, right? You've got to be right on top of every IMAP right. topic in Stack <laughs> right. Overflow and be like, oh, here's our solution. Like, you want this because you don't want to deal with the horrible open source ones. Here's those also, but...
0: Uh, that's a but, fine line so you're walking there, too, because you're going to get yelled at into Yeah. These geeks. You know, because there's areas of Stack Overflow that are just one step above Hacker News. Yes, that's for sure. Um, all right. I agree with you. Yes, that's a good one. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> can build that. Let yeah. us know when you do. If, or else we'll build it ourselves. We'll build it ourselves. Uh, what else we got? You want to talk about Hellspot Cloud and user escape benefits and some of the stuff I have <sighs> left lots. over from. Um, yeah, I don't know if we'll get to all that, but um, maybe I'll
1: talk, about, uh, well, I'll talk about... I'll talk about the pricing because that's kind of interesting. You want to talk about pricing or this new benefit we have?
0: Uh, you're, let's you're, pick one you're, you're right go ahead
1: you're what? you're, you're right you pick uh, uh, let's talk about pricing okay Um. so we're we're making a change to the whole pricing and I've actually thought about this for like a year but I was hesitant to do it and then we had version 4 coming out so at first I was like well that'll be a logical time to do it but it takes a lot of work to make this change. So I was like, Oh, that was going to be really complicated because version four is already pretty complicated. Just a bunch of stuff around it that I've talked about in the past. So, uh, now that things have simmered down a little bit on upgrades to version four, we're going to, we're going to work on updating the pricing. This will just be for new customers going forward. So existing customers are just on the traditional pricing and nothing's changing for them, but we're going to move to subscription pricing for help spot. And, uh, there's a few reasons. So by subscription pricing, I mean there'll still be an on-premise version, and but you'll subscribe to it rather than owning it. Mm-hmm. And the HelpSock Cloud will be you know kind of standard SaaS subscription pricing per user. Um, and so there's you know ups and downs to this. But the thing that kind of really pushed me over the edge recently was we have so many potential customers coming to us now who are basically just confused by the pricing because they don't really get the ownership aspect of it. Um, and so it, it becomes hard for them to compare essentially. So even though HelpSpot is actually much cheaper than the alternatives, especially if you look at like three years, because in the second year and third year, you're just paying support uh-huh. and you own the license already. You pay that up front. Like they don't really get to that point in the, in the thought process. Right. And they just look at the first year and they say, well, it's kind of the same price and, if they even understand that, but then they also say, well, but there's the support stuff we have to pay later. And, you know, do, I, do we have to pay for upgrades? And we don't understand what's going on And the cloud one. Why are we buying licenses for that? Like, shouldn't it just be subscription? So so we're just going to simplify the whole thing. It's just going to be subscription pricing. And if you're on premise, you can pay for it by the year. And if you're a cloud, it'll just be either monthly, which is the first time we'll ever have a monthly option, or more heavily, we'll push the annual options since I think generally support software is the kind of thing where you want to pay for annually because annually, you're not going to stop using it, you know, mm-hmm. two months in. But we'll let people have the monthly and then um, try to move them to annual after maybe the first few months. So,
0: uh, and the same so, the same price regardless of on premise or cloud.
1: They'll be a little bit different, but very close. Uh, so right now, the on premise. Is going to be, I don't know, I don't want to say the prices yet because I haven't totally finalized them, but the on-premise will be around what a license costs now, but it'll be every year. Uh So it'll be, you know, we should increase our revenue. Um, And on the cloud, it'll also be similar to what it is now where it averages out, where it's basically a little bit more because um, it's hosted for you and everything. But uh, but it's not a lot more because the other thing about that is, you know, I hate the SaaS, right? And the thing I hate about the SaaS is running servers for people, but we're doing that. So, so we might as well get the upside of the SaaS, which is the regular revenue. Um, so that's where it's kind of like, and the on-premise, while we don't have to run servers, is a lot more support generally because people have to get it installed and, you know, a year into it, their exchange stops working, or they change their networking, but they come to us because email's not working, but it's really because their networking's messed up. And, you know, so we end up just with weird, complex support. Um, and much of it is not necessarily HelpSpot related. Uh-huh. So so that has its own fairly significant expenses to it. So even though with cloud, we have to pay for servers and people to manage them and everything, there is that offset there. Um, and the biggest upside, I think, is in general is that it's just going to be so much easier to a compare between us and other people and then b just in general to know how much you're spending, which I think is something that's kind of changed a little bit with the rise of SaaS and people being used to the idea of, well, this is $50 a month or this is $300 a month or it's a thousand dollars a month, whatever it is, they just know it's going to be that every month. And um, so there's that regularness to it versus you know, figuring out support, which is a different price and adding hosting, which is a different price and paying for the licenses, which is one time and uh, all that kind of stuff. And this is something that's come up, I think more now that we have a, a salesperson, it's more in our face that disparity there because she hits it a lot or she has to really walk people through the pricing very closely mm-hmm. because they don't get it Um so, and it's weird because I think that's actually, I don't know, if it could just be that change or if it's just something that i I guess that's probably why it's, it's really, we've noticed it more, even though I was thinking about doing this a year ago, like I said, but, uh, but I don't know. So it'll be interesting. It's going to be interesting. There'll be, you know, when the on-premise version just turns off because you know, it's, it's expired. Um, so we have to build in some safeguards for that. So, you know, it doesn't turn off on somebody on Sunday and obviously letting them know ahead of time and making more prominent, the warnings within HelpSpot. So in the past, we just relied on email pretty much, and HelpSpot would tell you when it's expired, but it didn't since it keeps running forever. It didn't really throw it in your face, which is probably a mistake. Uh, so making sure we throw it in their face, you know, a week or two ahead of time. Um, in addition to emails months ahead of time to make sure that they uh, renew and things like that, and update their license file because they're on premise, it won't be able to be automatic because often they're like behind firewalls and things. So we can't just update the license. Uh, so they'll have to like actually upload it. So there'll be some new challenges there, but, uh, but it's going to be a big change. Um, and then of course it requires us to redo a whole bunch of stuff in our store app to uh-huh. support subscriptions. So Eric's been working on that. Uh, and we have to support the old way because all the existing customers, they already own their licenses. So we can't move them to this really. uh and it, it wouldn't be good for them anyway. So we're, you know, honoring all the existing pricing arrangements and everything for existing customers. Uh, but, you know, so the store has to support the old customers and it has to support new customers who want subscriptions. So a lot of behind-the-scenes work, is always.
0: This is uh, <coughs> the progression of the the meta stuff that you have to build around the mature product. This you know, helps yeah. better as a mature product, yeah. You know.
1: That stuff, there's so much work in the meta stuff. And I, I just, it's amazing how much work is in there. I don't know. And I'm always waffled between, it's either like an awesome competitive advantage or it's a horrible like weight that we have to do this. But uh, I think overall, I mean, even with this, we actually, Eric spent a lot of time researching if we should just like use Stripe subscriptions um, and then just build some stuff kind of around the web hooks and API of Stripe to integrate that with our current back office. And that was kind of where we were leaning for a little bit, but then there's a lot of things that then you can't control and you're stuck with their way of thinking about like prorating things and their way of, you can't have people who, uh, buy more than a year out, for example, on annual plans. And so you're stuck with a lot of their limitations. Um, so in the end we decided to just
0: build our own subscription (laughs) thing, uh, yeah, you Which know, you know me. I always think dependencies are evil.
1: Yeah, no, that's the thing. We already have this whole. It wouldn't replace, you know, this whole system because we do have, you know, the existing customers. We have licenses and all these things um, that the back office needs to do anyway. So it doesn't. It wouldn't really be a full replacement. Uh, uh, so that was, I don't know, that was unfortunate in a sense. But at the same time, I think it'll be, it'll be more robust uh, this way. So
0: you built this thing yourself. And you release it as a, as a basically you and your wife, two-person company, and it becomes successful. And now it's it's done, and it's been done for a decade. But now that it's done, you have more work around it than you could ever do by yourself. I know
1: that that's
0: crazy. <laughs> I was just thinking about that
1: the other day. Cause it's like. Man, without the employees, it would be impossible to do. I mean, I would just sit there and probably just look at the screen and just like turn it off or whatever. <laughs> because it would be impossible to do any there would never be time to do anything. Because between just support with how busy that is and uh yeah. I mean forget back office stuff like that, that that's what it was like before we kind of hired developers. Like that just didn't get worked on at all. And you know, moving the product forward and you couldn't build in cloud would be impossible. So even at our you know, very small scale, uh, it is, it is awesome how, how useful and wonderful it is to have employees. And that's like a huge <laughs> mistake I made. I mean, we should add employees way sooner. Um, we shouldn't have waited as long as we did to start hiring more people. Um, so that was, that was stupid. Definitely. If you're bootstrapping and you get to kind of the hundred thousand dollar mark, I think it's time to start thinking about hiring people because, uh, you really just move so much faster.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know about that. <laughs> Maybe a little no, no. in that ballpark. No, I mean, we were way over a hundred thousand dollars when we got started hiring, and that was a mistake. So, you know, yeah, but that was it wasn't really
1: a mistake for you. It was just that the market changed, and that wasn't really. Yeah, I guess
0: you know what it was, I mean. I like
1: guess. that wasn't really. It wasn't like oh, you overhired and then you had to let people go because you couldn't afford them. But everything else was the same. But you just made a mistake over hiring. It was like you hired these people at the same moment that iPhone came out and kind of wrecked everything. So that was, that was a little bit different. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's the super stressful part about hiring people is like all these people's livelihoods is based on your little company. So that's the part that's uh, still very stressful for me. But uh, well, that's like with this healthcare stuff. I mean, Jamie has spent two months on this healthcare stuff and it is just a total disaster. It's, uh, it's really horrible. I mean, do you go with the, the shop, which is like the marketplace, you know, which is healthcare.gov kind of, but state is different and we have five different states. And so that was where we were looking at going and where we still might go. But then we're also, the new rates came out in November, which just changed things a little bit. And, just dealing with all these states is very complicated and all the healthcare companies, they don't really want small, less than a hundred person companies anymore. Um, so they've raised rates like tremendously. So
0: it's that's, that's, a pain.
1: And then in New York, they're only like the New York exchange has all kinds of weird stuff where you can only get HMOs. You can't get EPOs, um, which is not the end of the world, but it's still annoying. And, uh, the whole thing is as tall as that. I, I seriously, if Canada wasn't so cold, I would definitely, I would give serious thought to moving. I, I
0: actually looked into Canada immigration. <laughs> I actually did. They, they have a website for that. For yeah, Americans who just want to say fuck it, right. <laughs> I'm standing <laughs> by my word to move to Canada this year. I've been promising <laughs> every election cycle <laughs> since 1985 <laughs> to move to Canada. <laughs> I'm doing it this year. It's actually not that bad. I mean, it's not like America where you have to be basically like a persecuted individual from another country where you know you're going to get killed unless you get this, uh, amnesty here or something um i think it's like a net worth of 3 the, the, there's several avenues from what i saw but one of the more interesting ones is that if you're a small business with a, a net worth or net revenue of uh, like 300,000 or higher and you promise to hire a canadian within one year then you really? could, you could go there yeah interesting it's fairly huh. fairly loose
1: right well, I think that's the rest of the world is kind of, you know, a little more open than the, the land of the free and the home of the brave here, which is uh, not as open, but I don't know. The, the winter, so I don't think, I like I, don't, I just can't move one inch farther north. <laughs> I just can't do it. I mean, although I have to say we've had like, I mean, it's going to be 70 tomorrow or something here. It's yeah. crazy warm for November, but I don't know. Maybe by the time we're 60 or 70, the global warming will really be hitting in and, uh,
0: Everywhere will be Florida.
1: Yeah, exactly. It'll be, it'll be like North Carolina or whatever up here by then, but I don't know. I can't go farther north. And then, you know, everywhere. South, it gets harder. Like Brazil. I know. I talked to a guy in Brazil. They have free health care, and it's
0: obviously warm. It's kind of a long way away, though. I don't know if I'd be willing to live in South America. Uh, Canada does look interesting. Canada, places like uh, I don't know, Amsterdam. Does Amsterdam have free health care? Everywhere, everywhere in
1: Europe has free healthcare. But Amsterdam would be interesting. I liked it there. I liked it there a lot. That would be good. I could live there. It's a little bit on the cool side, I think, but it's not. Doesn't get as cold as here. You know, I think it's a little more middle of the road. So I could probably deal with that. But, and then I thought about like in Canada, you got like Vancouver, which is warmer.
0: Canada's um, great. I love Canada.
1: I like Canadians. Canadian, every Canadian I've ever dealt with is all right. You do not get a bad can. I like Australians too. Australians are always all right. We have a lot of Australian customers and they're always great. And they're always willing to, they're like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll stay up till one in the morning to talk to you. Like, <laughs> we're used to that. We just stay up till one. and We do all our business calls in <laughs> the US at one. <laughs> so, all right.
0: <clears throat> I'm, I'm heading. You're falling out. You're I'm falling up, apart here. I'm falling apart. So I got to get going.
1: All right. Well, thanks for getting on. Thank we will you. talk to everybody next week.
0: Thanks guys for listening. Thanks to Linode for sponsoring the show definitely and uh we'll be back again next week later all right bye